WHQR Public Media, this is the Newsroom. I'm Ben Schachman. Thanks for listening to a special edition for the 2023 Wilmington City Council election. On this show, an interview with challenger Celette Andrews. She served in the U.S. Air Force and worked as a technical writer. She sat on a town council in Arizona before moving to Wilmington, and she currently runs an estate jewelry business and is an active volunteer. She's married to Pender County Manager David Andrews, and they have three children and three grandchildren. While Wilmington City Council is technically nonpartisan, Andrews is running with the support of the new Hanover County Democratic Party, and we'll have links to her campaign website on the show page. We asked Andrews a host of questions, largely drawn from our Community Agenda program, and we'll have info about that as well. Celette Andrews, candidate for Wilmington City Council, thank you for being with us. Thanks for having me. Okay, so before we get into questions from our community agenda, that's questions we've heard from Wilmington residents and voters, I want to just ask you, what do you think are the biggest challenges and issues facing Wilmington, and how would you tackle those? Okay. Well, we know from the citizen survey that's conducted every two years, uh, the, the latest one was in 2021. We know that the biggest issue that people have is our issues around transportation, uh, infrastructure, traffic, flooding, (laughs) all of those issues we know are number one on people's list. Um, The thing that I hear the most when I go around asking people what's the most important issue to them, a lot of them say affordability, especially in housing. We do have... um, we do have a rapidly increasing uh, housing affordability issue here in in Wilmington, so that's you know that's number two. And the other thing that people talk a lot about is the water and <clears throat> other environmental issues as well, including tree canopy and green space. Um, and sometimes a lot of those three issues don't get along with each other very well. So um, it's really a challenge of balance uh, balancing all those issues. Absolutely. Um, and that's that's right where we're going with our first set of questions. So let's let's get into it. Affordable housing is the number one thing we hear about. Mm-hmm. Uh, rent has increased around 53 percent over the last two years, uh, which has been really quite staggering in some places. From your point of view, obviously you're, you're a candidate, so you, you're not on council right now. But do you think council has been doing enough? And if not, what else do you think the city could do to address this crisis. Yeah. Um, I think that the council has been doing a lot as far as um, putting it forward and really uh, trying to negotiate with developers for more affordable units. It's the execution of that that's really difficult. Um, What else can be done? I think um, we need to really support our nonprofit partners, first of all, to help the people at the very lowest end, that uh, 30% AMI and below, uh, get our unhoused population off the street. Um, I definitely believe in a housing first agenda. Um, getting people into housing really saves the taxpayers a lot of money in a lot of ways, including fewer hospitalizations, fewer emergency room visits, um, so there's there's a lot of great things about getting the unsheltered into into shelters. Then we have the the, the median range affordable housing. Um, 
which is the people that are 30 to 60 percent AMI. We've got a great project going forward now, the Starway Village, which I think is fantastic. They've pieced together a lot of different um, funding sources for that. Right now, they're they're facing issues because of the increase in um, interest rates. They've been going up, and so they're facing issues with getting that project completely funded at this point. Uh, so I think the city and the county can definitely step forward and help with that. Um, and then, then we have workforce housing, which is 80 to sometimes 120 percent AMI. Um, and that should be more straightforward, but in a way it's really tricky because um, it's, it, it, it takes a lot of oversight to make sure that those units are staying affordable for 20 years into the future. And especially if we don't have oversight from funding sources like HUD, um, it, it's really it's really a lot of effort to make sure that those units stay affordable into the future and don't slip into market rate apartments. So, um, yeah, I think that I think the city's doing a lot, but um, as you said, we've faced an unprecedented increase in housing costs in the past few years. So, there's always more to be done. One of the things we hear from housing experts is that you can build your way out of this crisis. Or at least that's part of the solution. Is is more units overall release releases the pressure on the on the housing market in general. But you got to put those units somewhere. Mm-hmm. A lot of the experts suggest you know denser multifamily and building vertical. But the question that we hear from a lot of people, and the concern we hear from a lot of people, is where do you put that? I think everyone agrees they would like more housing, but not everyone would like you know a multifamily you know, apartment complex in their suburban neighborhood or a 12-story building maybe next to their three-story building downtown. So from your point of view, do you think there are places in Wilmington where denser and even taller development could go? Yeah, I I always like to say that two things people love to hate, one is density and the other is sprawl. Um, (laughs) So that's, that's the question. Supply is definitely part of the equation. We definitely need to increase the supply. Uh, I, I think that building up is going to be the way to go, especially in already dense areas. Um, we're going to need to go up. There's also another concept that they use in, um, in parts of the triangle called transit-oriented development. And so we need to build up in areas where we already have transit, and uh, we need to extend transit to newer areas where we're going to have increased density. And that's going to help both the affordability aspect because parking is one of the most expensive things to build and takes up a lot of land. Um, So if we can decouple parking requirements uh, in certain areas and make it more uh, of a transit-friendly area, um, that can certainly increase affordability uh, and decrease the amount of traffic on the roads at the same time. The last part of this housing puzzle is there are, there are places that I think people have identified where you could build denser, but there's also a need for the missing middle housing. So duplexes, quadplexes in between that suburban sprawl and like denser urban cores. Do you have thoughts on how the city could help more of that type of housing come on the market? That's really what I'm seeing a lot of coming before council right now is there is a lot of um, the townhomes and small apartment complexes that are basically infill developments. Um, one of the things that they can do is uh, 
decouple the parking in some situations. Uh, it's not going to work in all situations. But, you know, you don't necessarily always need, especially if it is on a transit route, you don't always need to have two parking spaces for every bedroom or even one for every bedroom. You know, it just it depends on the situation and how available transit is and how successful we as government leaders could be in uh, encouraging people to use transit more. So the last this is the last set of concerns we hear around building new spaces usually involve, you know, traffic, tree cover or, you know, gentrifications, like changing the neighborhoods. And I think those are, you know, all sort of different ideas, but they're all people who are concerned about what a new development will do. Um, traffic, I think we've talked about a little bit and we can talk about wave later, but with when it comes to tree cover, we hear all the time that people are concerned that people will clear cut, you know, all the trees on our property. Do you think the city's doing a good enough job of making sure that's handled either by sparing the trees or replanting new trees, or could they be doing more? Yes. Yeah, so I know that our new tree ordinance is is working toward that goal, you know, to increase tree coverage um, and, and decrease um, the amount of clear cutting that, that's done. In, they're increasing shade requirements for parking areas, which is really important to prevent the whole heat island effect. Um, the other thing, we're having to deal with the after effects of 80 years ago planting certain species of trees that ended up growing very quickly and providing us with a lovely canopy, but but not being healthy enough to sustain um, very long. And we're having to um, cut down some trees, especially along Market Street, that's very alarming to people because, you know, that that's a corridor where, where we always had these beautiful trees. So I think just um, you know keeping up with the science, making sure that we're planting trees um, that are uh, sustainable in the long run, that are healthy in the long run, that we don't have to replace as often, uh, and that don't blow over in storms. It's another issue that we need to worry about. Um, but yeah, trees are really important. Um, trees not only provide oxygen, they, they uh, prevent the whole heat island effect from too much concrete. Um, they also drink up a lot of water um, and very important to control flooding, um, especially as we try to move forward and be resilient with climate change. So the, the other concern we hear about, a lot of this comes from developments that are happening right now on Castle Street in what's getting called the Soda Pop District and on the north side. Residents are basically concerned either that the culture of their neighborhood will be irrevocably changed or more from a financial point of view that they will be burdened with increased property taxes or basically priced out of their neighborhood. Now, not all of this is on the city, I'll be clear about that, but the city can certainly play a role. What do you think that role should be? Yeah, that's really hard because um, in North Carolina, municipalities can only do what the state government allows us to do, and in some cases, that's not a whole lot when it comes to um, issues that involve economics and gentrification. Um, oh, remember when I said that um, two things people hate are density and sprawl? The other two things people hate is gentrification and blight. So, you know, one person's gentrification uh, is is the answer to another person's blight. So. Um, it's that's a really really tough issue. One of the things I know that this um, local leaders can do and are starting to do is really work on the issue of 
having people understand their property rights and having people understand the whole issue around heirs' property. Having people, uh, they're doing will workshops now um, so that people can decide what's going to happen to their property uh, when when they pass. Because right now we have a lot of properties in town that um, are being taken out from under families because there was no will. There was just an agreement among the kids, or they thought they had an agreement, and then one set of heirs sells out, and the property ends up getting um, developed by somebody who's who's not in the family because the people in the family who wanted to hold on to it can't hold on to it. So I think there's, um, you know, there there is there is a measure of education and legal aid that we can offer people to help them to be able to stay in their homes. One of the things that we can do um, is develop a funding mechanism for low interest or no interest loans so that people can fix their property, keep it up to code at least, um, and, and keep it livable for themselves and so that they can age in place. That's an important part of affordable housing that I think that the city can find a way to do. So you've already touched on this, but I want to go a little bit further. When we're talking about housing, you know, housing affects everybody from, you know, from luxury housing to workforce housing to affordable housing to, you know, Section 8 and and federally funded housing. And then there's people who have been pushed all the way out the bottom of the housing market and who are now unhoused or homeless. What are your thoughts on the city's approach to that and right now? And are there things you would do differently? We are doing a, the city is doing a partnership with the county as far as our police and county health department social workers to um, help the homeless population uh, get to the resources that they need. Um, One of our nonprofit partners, the Good Shepherd Center, is doing uh, a yeoman's job of providing um, permanent supportive housing um, and getting people fed and sheltered during the day. Um, So what more could the city be doing? One of the things, and this is going to touch on transit again because I'm a big proponent of public transit. Um, So a a bus pass uh, on WAVE costs $80 a month, and which is a real bargain, you know, if you think about putting gas in your car and parking. Um, But it's really out of reach for a lot of people still, even at $80 a month. Um, we, there are also half price passes available for seniors and for veterans, which I might qualify for both. I don't know. (laughs) Um, but I think one of the things that we could do is to fund bus passes for people who, um, are either on public assistance or are unhoused because uh, it's really hard for them to get around to even get to the Good Shepherd Center. A lot of them ride the um, the downtown trolley to try and get down there. Um, but I think, you know, we need to better serve people to be able to uh, use public transit to get to the services that they, that they need. And I, d- I just want to touch on this real quick because you had mentioned housing first policies which I think a lot of people have heard about, but just in case people aren't familiar with it, do you want to give a quick overview of, of what that means and how it's different from some other policies? Right. So there, there are people who feel like um, that we don't have to worry about housing people until we get them into a place where they're worthy to be housed. Um, in other words, um, off of drugs and um, you know on, their, on, on a path toward becoming self-sufficient. 
but we know that many of those things are impossible unless you do have housing first. And so housing first is just a, a policy of saying we're going to try and get people into permanent supportive housing as, as, a, as a primary uh, means of, of treating this problem. Um, and then, then that person has the ability to work on the other things in their life that, that they need help with. So good summation, I think. Okay. Okay. So we've talked. We've we've been hinting around public transportation and Wave. Um, Wave has had a rocky history over its its existence here after it was you know combined from the the city and the county's transportation systems. It is also facing a significant shortfall of federal funding uh, in the coming years. What are your thoughts on Wave, and where would you like to see it go? I definitely think that um, it needs to be expanded. I was disappointed that the quarter cent sales tax that was floated last year in 2022 failed. I think that there's a lot of reasons that it failed. Um, I I think that people were very concerned last year about inflation. I think a lot of people are still concerned about inflation. And, um, you know, adding a sales tax is um, a scary thing in, in, in times of inflation. But I also think it failed because of lack of uh, education and leadership. Um, you know, we need to get out there as community leaders and and talk to people uh, about how important public transit is as we uh, face our number one issue being traffic and infrastructure. <laughs> um, you know, people people can have all the road rage they want about about traffic, but there are some solutions to traffic and one of the biggest involves public transit. And so getting getting the ridership up, I think certainly providing discounted services to people who need those discounted services. So the half price bus passes or even free bus passes to people who need it. Um, I moved here most recently from uh, Chapel Hill, Carborough area, and they have fare free public transit. It's expensive for the municipalities, but it, it's also totally possible to live there without a car. And I think that's a good thing. Um, we do need to get cars off the street. Uh, we have not only the issue of um, transit to deal of, of traffic and, and transportation and infrastructure to deal with, um, but also climate resiliency. And so yeah, getting cars off the street is a good thing, and promoting public transit is a good thing. And I'll, I'll just put it to you to sharpen this point. The city has had to go it alone with funding, um, at least at the local level. They do get federal funding. Um, this is not to you know cast aspersions at the county, but Wilmington has had to shoulder that that financial burden. Is that something you would be willing to make a, a financial priority for the city? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think transit is a is an absolute priority for all levels of government. But it, you know, if it's going to fall to the city, then it needs to be a priority. So, a couple of the other issues around traffic and transportation that we hear a lot about, um, you know, bikeability, walkability. The city has done a lot based on its 2014 transportation bond. I'm just curious, do you, do you think the city's on the right track? Is there more they should do? A different tack they should take? Yeah, um, bike paths are a huge thing I hear when I'm talking to people. Another is pickleball. (laughs) (laughs) But um, bike paths and sidewalks are incredibly expensive to build. 
Um, so people need to know that first and foremost. It's been almost 10 years, you mentioned. It's been almost 10 years since we've had a transportation bond. It's probably getting time for another one um, because, yeah, I think those are things that people really want. Um, the multimodal paths, uh, biking, walking, um, are really important ways to get across the city. And again, another way to get cars off the street and make it easier to get to your bus stop. Um, so yeah, I think it's, I think it's a, a priority and we may need to go out for another uh, transportation bond. Okay, I want to pivot a little bit to the issue of public safety, mm-hmm. which is one of the city's major requirements. Mm-hmm. Just at the broadest level, how do you think the Wilmington Police Department is, is doing? How do you feel about it? Yeah, at the broadest level, I mean, I think that we're doing a good job. I think that, you know, crime is at a, I think, a 50-year low. I mean, it's really, um, I think it's a 20-year low. (laughs) Crime's at a 20-year low. And um, so I think we're we're doing a good job. Um, I do think there's still mistrust in some neighborhoods with the local police. Um, I have talked to people who just feel like, the police are not their friends, that they're not working for them. So I think, you know, we need to have a, um, a responsibly resourced public safety department, police department. I think that we need to um, do <laughs> do our best at hiring and training the best people for the job and hire people that look like the communities that they serve and uh we need to emphasize de-escalation training and uh, community policing. And uh, I think um, our police chief, Donnie Williams, is um, you know, very open to those concepts and is, is, is working very hard toward them. Um, but there's always room for improvement. One thing Wilmington is dealing with, um, you know, every county sheriff's office is dealing with, it. I think just about every law enforcement office in the country is dealing with this, is a real struggle in recruiting and re- and retaining, I don't expect any candidate to have easy answers on this, but do you have thoughts on on that struggle? Yeah, it's it's everywhere in government and even in a lot of places in the public sector. Um, recruiting has become very difficult. Um, we have a lot of people, a lot of companies during the pandemic, especially that went to remote work and. Employees that are that are doing remote work don't want to come back into the office, and they're even feeling the pressure in government as far as people don't you know not wanting to work full time in the office, wanting to have some flexibility, wanting to have some remote work options. That's not possible with public safety. It's not possible with our police and fire departments. It's not possible with most of our government services, and so we're competing with some pretty attractive deals out there in the private sector. Um, and we we did have a significant um, pay increase uh, for public safety a few years ago and um, I think that will go a, a long way, but we have to we have to keep up with those salary studies and make sure that we are attracting the best people for the job. So the last issue I wanted to cover is the world of economic development. and the city has, over the last you know, 10 years that I've been covering it, had a number of you know, economic incentives um, that have brought some manufacturing jobs, a lot of fintech jobs, a lot of um, mm-hmm. pharmaceutical jobs. What are, you, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, how would you like to see the city 
use its economic development arms in the future going forward? That kind of goes back to what I was saying about the um, the remote work. Um, right now, we have people. I've I've seen on social media young couples that are making three hundred thousand dollars between the two of them um, that are completely remote with both of their jobs and they can live anywhere they want and they want to live here in Wilmington, (laughs) a lot of them. So the good news is um, we don't have to worry so much about bringing jobs in because people are coming with their own jobs. Um, The other thing is it it, it used to be in in the world of economic development, especially at the municipal level, um, people were really concerned about what I call economic big game hunting, you know, going out and bagging that big prize. Like a PPD or a Live Oak Bank. Exactly. Um, But Live Oak Bank is a good example of really uh, what I consider economic gardening, which is bringing up the businesses and the talent that you already have here and growing that and encouraging that. Um, We have a great uh, asset in our public university and community college. The public, the UNCW has the Center for Innovation and Entrepreneurship that is doing great things with helping people to start businesses and grow their businesses and network and, and all of that. Um, the community college system actually throughout the state has a program where they're doing classes online on Zoom um, for everything from writing a business plan to how to use social media to promote your business, um, personnel management, all kinds of classes that they're offering on Zoom. I've actually taken a few of them, and they're pretty good. Um, they've also, Cape Fear Community College in particular has done, um, they, they, they're offering a lot of apprenticeships um, for the skilled trades, which is, again, those are sorely needed jobs that they are um, upping their training program for and, and putting in more programs for. So um, we're, we're talking truck drivers and, and, and public safety jobs and uh, the skilled trades. And so that's a, a really good thing that we have here locally. As far as the city's role in that, is there anything in specific that you would want to see, you know, council, council tackle? As far as economic development? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean... In, in some ways, I think it's very difficult for local uh, governments to to do economic development on their own. I mean, there's there's almost always a department and 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 some staffing to do economic development, and and they do a great job. But we also have Wilmington Business Development as you know a partner, and this is what they do full time, and I think they're doing a great job. Um, uh, and, and we have other economic partners, the chamber, um, uh, and so forth. So I, th- I think, um, and, and the city funds uh, Wilmington business development. I think that's good. Um, and they're the full-time experts that are that are doing the, the economic development. And I think they're doing a good job. All right. Well, that is our run of show from our community agenda. Before I let you go, and, and I thank you for your time. Uh, any closing thoughts? Oh. Just, um, I, I think that I've learned in my uh, diverse career that I need to, um, it, it takes a lot of teamwork and working together with people that you don't always agree with um, to get big things done. So that's my, my parting thought is that um, I think we're all in this together and it's going to take 
community leaders working together, uh, putting aside uh, partisan differences and, and working for the good of the community. All right, Celette Andrews, candidate for Wilmington City Council. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me here. That was our interview with challenger Celette Andrews, who is running for Wilmington City Council. I'm Ben Shockman. Thanks for listening to this special edition of the Newsroom. And check out our other candidate interviews at whqr.org and wherever you get the Newsroom as a podcast. <laughs>